Good morning. I'm Associate Pastor Matt Sprinkle, and I'm glad that you're here this morning. I'd like to start by reading from uh, the book of First Chronicles. At the time that David, the king, uh, that would become the man who would become the king, uh, was beginning to come into power, it says in First Chronicles. Now these were the numbers of the divisions that were equipped for war, and came to David at Hebron to turn over the kingdom of Saul to him. It says of the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. Their chiefs were two hundred, and all their brethren were at their command. They had understanding of the times, and they knew what Israel ought to do. These are crazy times in America. It's hard to understand what's going on. It's hard to know what we should do. In our society today, there is a great deal of malice and contempt, anger and hatred. There is a growing resentment and bitterness, partiality, that is driving America to greater division, disorder, and injustice. We all see it, and for many of us, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what we should think or what we should do. Most of you have experiences where you don't even feel safe expressing your opinion for fear of being labeled or judged or punished in some way. Why is that happening? How do we get here? As Christians, we need to become wise like the men of Issachar so that we can understand the times and know what to do. In the ancient world, Israel were the people of God. Today, the church is the people of God. And the same Holy Spirit that gave them wisdom will give us wisdom as we look to the scriptures. America has big problems today for sure, but God has given us the solution. The solution is Jesus Christ and the good news about him. This is the gospel. And as more and more people join the kingdom of Christ, their hearts are transformed, their lives are transformed, and justice and peace and righteousness flows out of them into their communities. Now, we all saw the killing of George Floyd. This was a total lack of respect, compassion, mercy, humanity. Instead, we saw contempt and malice and arrogance. We heard him cry, I can't breathe for eight minutes until he lost consciousness and died. It was a horrible, horrible injustice. For many Americans, they didn't just see a black man being killed by cops. They saw themselves. They saw their husbands, their brothers, their sisters, and their children. Since then, there has been protests, peaceful marches, as well as riots and violence. We hear slogans like, stop the oppression, end systemic racism, black lives matter, which is true. Black lives do matter. And there are laws and policies that are unjust. They should be changed by those who have the power and the responsibility to change them, whether individuals, groups, companies, or elected officials. Change them so that more and more justice and righteousness is created in our society. But the true unity and brotherly love that the human race was created to enjoy, that only comes through Christ. So listen to what the scriptures say about where unity and reconciliation comes from. This is from Ephesians 2. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made 
us both one and who has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This is the gospel, God's solution to humanity's problem. And I'd like to spend a little time outlining this gospel in more detail. And afterwards, I'd like to make you aware of a powerful counterfeit gospel that we as a church could be seduced and captivated by. It's a gospel that much of America is putting their faith in right now. And unfortunately, it will lead to chaos and destruction. For time, I'm going to share the whole gospel to you, the whole story. And I have included the references and the verses that this knowledge is based on in the outline that you can print off connected to this message. So here it is. Here's God's solution. Here's the gospel according to the Bible. All right. So number one, who are we? What is the origin of the species according to the Bible? This is the first question that the gospel answers. And the answer is we are image bearers of God. In Genesis 1, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God created us the whole race, the human race, to be image bearers, to reflect him and aspects of his nature. That means that the whole human race in Adam is equal. We are equally created by God in his image, equally valuable to him, equally given the great blessings of filling and subduing the earth and ruling over it. Our rights, our value, our dignity and worth as human beings it comes out of the fact that God created us as his image bearers, that we reflect him. That's where it comes from. Second question, what is the problem? Well, according to the Bible, the problem is sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is a summary statement of all the Bible says about us and our sin. And this means that the whole race, the human race, is equally in rebellion against God. We have equally joined Satan in his cosmic rebellion. We are equally separated from God. In addition to being separated from God, we also equally experience this sense of shame, guilt. All of us are dying. We're capable, all of us, of great beauty and love and goodness, as well as selfishness, arrogance, and violence. We are all equally worthy of God's wrath and punishment. And all of us are equally under the dominion of Satan and his fallen demons which means they're easily able to deceive us and spiritually oppress us before we are saved by Christ. We are all equally destined to share in their cosmic judgment in hell. The real problems that we're facing, the facing today as a society, are not really bad versus good. They're not strong people versus weak people or oppressor versus oppressed. It's not even really about racism or sexism, economic inequality or bad political systems. According to the Bible, those are symptoms and not the disease. The disease is sin. 
And friends, you and I, all of us, are infected with it. So that's the bad news. What's the good news? That's what gospel means, good news. What's the good news? What's the solution to our problem, according to the Bible? Well, the solution is that God is going to send a Savior. From the very beginning of the Bible, God promised to send a seed of the woman, a Savior, a Messiah, someone who would come and rescue us, who would crush the serpent's head, who would defeat the forces of darkness that have enslaved the human race and deliver us, redeem us. This promise that was made to Adam and Eve was developed over the course of the Bible. God told Abraham that he would bless the whole world through his seed, through the Messiah, through the Savior that would come through the line of Abraham. God promised David that this Savior would sit upon his throne and that he would rule and reign over the whole world forever. In the prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, this promise was further developed. We learned that this Savior would die for the sins of his people, that he would be buried and raised again, that he would offer salvation through his sacrifice. And so when you read the scriptures, when you get to Jesus, you learn that he is the promised Savior. Jesus is the Savior of the world, the seed, the Messiah, the one that God has been promising to send us to fix our problem from the very first pages in the Bible. What's great about Jesus is that he became one of us, a human being, and he took the lowest possible rank. He was underprivileged. He was oppressed. He was an Israelite who lived under the boot of Rome. He was a carpenter. He lived in the outskirts, in the backwaters of Israel. In doing this, he teaches you and I that our identity, what's most valuable about us, it isn't found in our race or our class or our sex or economic or political station. He lived a perfect, righteous, just and loving life. He loved God with all of his heart, all of his mind, all of his soul, and all of his strength. He provides righteousness that we need to stand in the presence of God. And guess what? His race, his class, his sex, his nationality, these things in no way kept Jesus from fulfilling God's calling on his life and saving us. These things do not keep me or you from fulfilling God's call on your life. In dying for our sins, Jesus provided complete and final atonement. There is no more payment that needs to be made for our sins, past, present, and future. On the cross, all the punishment that I deserve, that you deserve, that we deserve for our sins against one another and against God were poured out upon Jesus. He drank them down and completely exhausted the wrath of God for all of those who will follow him, for his people. And that allows him to offer us forgiveness. There's no more guilt, no more condemnation. And we are all now entitled to the blessings and all the privileges that he deserved. He earned for us blessing and privilege. All that God promised to the person who completely obeyed him, all the good things that God said he would do for those who are faithful to him, Jesus has given to us because he was faithful to God. And that means that he brings peace on earth. When he was born, angels 
proclaimed to shepherds, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. There can be peace and goodwill towards men. There can be peace on earth and reconciliation because of the cross. Jesus has destroyed the division between us and God, the, the enmity between us and God. And all mankind comes to God through one man, Christ. And so all of us are equal in that way. He's destroyed the hostility between people. And why? Because God forgave us who were his enemies so we can forgive one another who we see as our enemies. This means that God can transform us from the inside out. He can actually make us just. He can teach us how to restore what we've broken. Think about Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He robbed his community. He knew all their faces. He knew where they lived. He had records of all the money he had taken from them. And he never gave it back. But when he met Jesus, he was reborn. He received a new identity. He became a child of the Father. And what did he do? He told everybody that he had robbed, everyone that he had wronged, I'm going to give you back four times what I took from you. Now, the law required him to pay back 20%. He paid back 400%. Why? Wasn't he worried he wouldn't have anything to wear or eat? Wasn't he worried that he wouldn't have a house? Wasn't he worried about himself? No, because he had learned to live in the kingdom of his father from his Lord Jesus. He had learned in his heart the truth that the Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want. Jesus frees us to stop worrying about taking care of ourselves and getting ours. And he flips us inside out so that we can pour out love and grace. He does that because he shows us that our father is with us and is taking good care of us. And all who follow Jesus become radical in justice and mercy and love. If you want to see that happening in this world, that only comes through Jesus. This is the solution. It's amazing. Now, how do you get it? You get it by being reborn. You turn to God in repentance and you put your confidence in Jesus. You confess your sins before God and you give your whole life to Christ. He changes you from the inside out. No man changes you, but he changes you. And this means we have a great destiny. What's the future for those of us who follow Christ? What's the end of the story of the gospel? The answer is we get to be his witnesses in our generation. We get to exercise our God-given rule justly, righteously, with wisdom and peace. We teach and hold out the word of life to this world. Like yeast, we leaven society with truth and love. We don't believe in utopias or heaven on earth brought about by man's effort. We know that's only possible once the source of evil is finally defeated on the day that Christ returns. And when he returns, he will judge all mankind. He will bring to light that which has been hidden. And all the wickedness men and women have committed. God has already punished Christ for our sins. Those who have not received his salvation will suffer torment in hell with Satan and his demons. That's a terrifying thought. But it's right and it's just once all the facts are revealed on the day of judgment. Then Christ will create a new heaven and a new earth. He will unite us again, the human race, united again with him like we were in the garden before the fall. And we will rule and reign with him on earth forever and ever, just like he always intended. No more suffering, no more pain, no more injustice. Love 
glory, and unimaginable joy. That's our future. That's the gospel. That's the hope that you bring to this world and the only good news that can save and fix this world. What news is better than that? What solution can compete with that complete, sufficient grace of Christ? All that we see in our world today, all that's unjust and corrupt, wrong and immoral, will be fixed by Christ. This is the solution that God is offering you, our church, our community, and our country. This is the truth and the good news that we bring to a dying world. But there is another gospel. This gospel is being proclaimed in America today. It's called the woke gospel, or what sociologists call critical theory. It's growing in power and influence in our culture. It's all over the news on social media. And it's often proclaimed under the banner of social justice. Doctrines like white privilege, silences violence, defund the police, stop systemic racism. They seem disconnected, but they're all doctrines that revolve around a new alternative gospel. What do these words mean? Are they describing real problems that we're dealing with? Where do these ideas come from? Are they biblical, or at least do they line up with the Bible? We have to ask these questions because right now churches and Christians are being called to action. We're being challenged to speak out. And it seems like maybe the Bible isn't enough to address these challenges that we're facing today as a society. Maybe we need someone from the outside to give us the categories and the knowledge to understand our world better and to fix it. Maybe we need sociology and psychology and political philosophy. They could tell us what to do. They could tell us what to say. This is a very tempting thing right now. In every age, the church is tempted by Satan and the world to get off mission and to give our time and our money and our power and our influence to worldly causes and visions. Paul warned us against this in Colossians. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. We just looked at the gospel. That's what it means to hope in Christ. We need to be careful what we are depending on to solve problems, God's word or hollow worldly philosophies. Now, in examining this woke gospel, I want to be clear about what I'm not saying. First of all, I'm not saying that racism doesn't exist. It does exist. It's evil. It's a sin, and it should be called out and corrected wherever we have the ability to do so. I'm also not saying that there aren't oppressed groups or individuals in our society or churches. There are, and they should be defended and given their God-given dignity and rights. But racism, economic inequality, sexism, and prejudice of all kinds are symptoms, not the disease. The disease, as we have seen, is sin, and all of us, Every one of us are capable of malice and contempt and sin. In critiquing the woke gospel, I'm not saying that those who are fighting for justice and equality are evil. Many are compassionate, kind, and motivated by a desire for justice. I am saying, what I am saying, is that if we aren't discerning, we all could be captivated, like Paul says, by a set of ideas that are opposed to everything Christ stands for. What ideas am I talking about? What I'm talking about is a relatively new idea in our world, but a powerful idea. 
and it is Marxism. Yes, I said Marxism. About 150 years ago, a man by the name of Karl Marx created a very popular way of looking at history, and his ideas have gripped millions. He believed that all of history boiled down to a story of oppressed versus their oppressors. In his day, it was rich versus poor, or labor versus capital. But it was really a way of translating survival of the fittest, a Darwinian notion, into the story of human history. This struggle, survival of the fittest, strong versus weak, oppressor versus the oppressed, this struggle shaped and has shaped every fiber of our identity as human beings. That's what Marx thought. People weren't born sinful, like the Bible says. They were made that way by unjust systems that the powerful created to oppress the weak. The strong were evil. The weak were good. Only if the weak unified and rose up through force could they overthrow their masters and bring about utopia, peace on earth, and goodwill toward men. It would take enlightened men, woke men, to know the truth and teach the truth. And if they were strong enough and they had enough will to power, they could take over and bring about paradise, heaven on earth. But where this philosophy, or what I would call a gospel, because it answers all the fundamental questions that Christ's gospel answers, where this gospel has taken root in culture, death and destruction has followed. I don't need to list off all of the massacres and genocides in the 20th century that were done at the hands of some version of Marxism. Unfortunately, most Americans and our institutions have already begun to adopt this new Marxist paradigm of oppressor versus the oppressed. And many churches are starting to adopt it, too. That's why we're talking about it today, to protect ourselves and to keep our guard up and to be discerning the way Paul warns us to be in Colossians. You find this new view in your inbox from every business that is assuring you of their commitment to social justice through some policy or position that they're taking. You see it in Hollywood. You hear it on the lips of Republicans and Democrats at the state, local, and national level. They're apologizing for things that they themselves did not do. It's being used in government to excuse not arresting violent protesters that are taking over streets, looting, assaulting, and in some case murdering citizens. Having taught in high school for 15 years, I can testify to you that this Marxist paradigm, this Marxist gospel of oppressed versus the oppressor, is the primary worldview taught in schools. You see it being incorporated into technology companies and their policies in Silicon Valley. And even the sports world has bent the knee to the woke gospel. There's a lot of pressure on celebrities to get in line and to show their virtue by tweeting and supporting woke causes. And make no mistake, the church is next. The pressure and attacks have already begun. Our church in the not-too-distant future may find that it's difficult to rent space or to use services like Vimeo and YouTube or exercise our First Amendment rights to exercise our faith according to the scriptures and our conscience. This isn't theory. This is history. As different strains of Marxism swept through Europe, Asia, Latin America in the last century, the church was forced to bend the knee 
or face persecution. So with these things in mind, let's ask the question, what is the woke gospel? Why isn't it biblical and why should we reject it? To understand the woke gospel, we need to understand its two primary claims. I'm going to use some great work done by the Colson Center in explaining what it is. The first claim is that everything can be divided. All people can be divided into two groups, those who have power and those who don't have power. Second, those who have power always oppress those who don't. You could call this their original sin. According to the woke gospel, the categories of oppressor versus oppressed are based on group identity, not individual choice that you've made. Things like race and sex, religion, immigration status, income, sexual orientation, and gender identity, these are the things that define whether or not you're in a oppressor or oppressed group. Now, in this new way of thinking, the degree to which you are oppressed should determine your level of protection, power, and privilege. The more oppressed, the more you deserve. The less oppressed you are, the less you deserve. Your victim status is the most important factor in determining things like your moral authority level, whether you should be prosecuted for a crime, your worthiness of power and money, the opportunities and the rights to express your opinion rather than your character, competence, and commitment or choices. Of course, when we start labeling people the oppressed and deserving protection, privilege, and power simply because of their status as a member of one of these groups, we unintentionally start participating and supporting partiality and prejudice. These are things that God has forbidden us to do. Read Exodus 23. You shall not circulate a false report. Don't lie about people. Don't spread rumors. Don't spread information that's not true. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to the poor man in his dispute. This is exactly what happens when we accept this woke gospel method of determining someone's guilt or innocence. Rights and the privileges do them. And when we adopt this new popular gospel and promote it, we are simply following the crowd in doing evil. How are we doing that? We are showing partiality to the poor. In this case, the poor in power. Most people, if they're honest, don't believe that that's right. But they're afraid to say so for fear of being silenced or threatened or slandered or punished. And all of us want to fit in and be accepted. But this is simply trying to be friends with the world and receive the approval of the world. This is a trap, and God warns us against it over and over again. Here are the words of Jesus' brother James. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity towards God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Why? Because God is a God of truth, justice, and love. He's impartial, no favoritism. He doesn't want us to show partiality and prejudice based upon other things and the things that we've outlined above. If you're in the oppressor group, how do you atone for your sins, you might be wondering. I mean, I was wondering that. Right? If you're in this group, the majority group, the powerful group, how do you make right all the wrongs in this new gospel? The answer is, is you confess your guilt. You renounce your unjust privilege. You check your privilege, your racial, gender, political, and economic privilege. And then you submit. You submit your thoughts and your vote. You submit your influence and your money and your stewardships to those who claim to be oppressed. This is called being woke. That's why I call it the woke gospel. Or checking your privilege. 
And what it is, is it's a new way to be born again. Once we repent, we must become activists in a cause called social justice. And we should spread this new understanding that we've received. This will bring about a utopia free from injustice, oppression, and evil. So it may be helpful at this point to compare these two Gospels side by side. I provided you a chart here that shows you the questions that every Gospel answers on the left. And we're going to compare the Christian Gospel to this new woke Gospel. Here's the first question. Who are we? Well, according to Christ, we are God's image bearers. But in the woke gospel, what really defines us is whether or not we're an oppressor or an oppressed person. What about our problem? Well, according to Christ, our problem is our sinful heart. But according to the new teaching in this new woke gospel, the real problem is oppressors and their oppressive systems. So what's the solution? Well, if the problem is sin, then the solution is repentance and salvation through Christ. But if the problem is oppressors and oppressive systems in the woke gospel, the solution is social, economic, and political liberation. And this explains why there's all this tumult going on in our world today. How about how you're born again? How are we born again? How do we become a part of this new life? Well, if you would like to be born again as a Christian, then you repent of your sin and you become a follower of Christ. But to be born again in this woke gospel means to repent of your privilege and become an activist. What about your mission? Once you are born again, what's the mission for the rest of your life? As a Christian, it is to grow in godliness and spread the gospel of Jesus. But in this new gospel, it's gaining power and spreading social justice. And what about our destiny? What does the story end? Well, for those of us who follow Christ, it ends in a new creation where God redeems mankind and he makes all things new. But in the woke gospel, it ends in a utopia where man redeems man. By our own strength and our own ability and our own wisdom, those who are wise and woke amongst us will create a new world. As you can see, these are very different Gospels, and they're answering the questions in very different ways. Now that we've compared these two, I'd like to finish by showing you why these are not consistent. The woke Gospel is not consistent with Christianity for three key reasons. First of all, the woke Gospel teaches a different view of humanity than Christ does. The woke Gospel teaches that our identity is rooted in things like race, sex, income levels, sexual orientation, immigration status. But the Bible defines our core identity as image bearers of God. We are all equally the image of God and equally valuable to God. Biblically, we are created equal, equally valuable to God, equally guilty of sin, equally deserving of God's wrath and punishment, and equally able to find grace and mercy in union with Christ. But this new gospel divides the human race into non-biblical groups. Second, the woke gospel teaches a different view of sin than Christ. God defines sin in the Bible as anything that violates God's design and commands, including unjust, unjust oppression. But oppression is one symptom, not the cause. The cause is sinfulness, our native selfishness, arrogance, and destructive tendencies. The woke gospel defines sin as oppression. And if you accept that idea, if you accept this new definition of our problem, then all of a sudden, biblical practices that we're commanded to do, like teaching, discipleship, correction, reproof, or leadership, all of these are now unjust acts of oppression if they're done by someone in the oppressor group. And sin that the Bible does condemn, like malice and contempt, envy and partiality, distortions of the facts, mob violence, unforgiveness, those sins are often excused or totally ignored in this new woke understanding. The Bible says that we are guilty before God of sin, regardless of our race, sex, social status, or economic conditions. 
And we are all equally in need of forgiveness. Only through Christ can we receive this. Now, the last way the woke gospel contradicts the actual true gospel of Jesus Christ is that it offers a different view of salvation than Christianity. Biblically, the whole race, the whole human race is equally guilty of sin. Salvation can only be found in Jesus through repentance of sin. But since the woke gospel teaches that the oppressors are guilty of sin and the oppressed are not, salvation is found in social, political, and economic liberation. Not individual repentance, an individual confession of sin, an individual turning to Christ. So you can see in conclusion that the woke gospel teaches a very unbiblical set of doctrines about who we are, what the problem is, and how we should fix it. Therefore, the woke gospel leads to greater confusion and darkness, anger, division. It also creates more oppression rather than alleviating the oppression that the entire human race is actually under, the oppression of sin, curse, Satan, and death. Only Jesus can liberate our race, the human race, from our true oppressors. That's what he did on the cross. That's the liberation we proclaim. Only Jesus can do that. So the next time someone with good intentions, compassion in their heart, and a desire for justice calls you to join them in their fight against privilege or for social justice, as opposed to just justice, remember that they are actually promoting Ideas that are a part of a counterfeit gospel that are based on incorrect understandings of who we are, what the problem is, and where the solution is found. This is how you protect yourself, your family, and our church from dangerous heresies that can divide and destroy and keep us from accomplishing our mission. Now, as I, as I close, I, I don't want you to feel anxious or depressed. There's no reason for that. Christians throughout history have had to work in a culture that tends to have ideas that undermine and contradict the gospel. We have to become aware of those ideas so that we don't get into error. Error will divide and hurt you, me, our church, and keep us from being productive. But here's the good news. All of the things that you see on the streets, all the problems that we're facing as a society, they are not new. And the gospel has come into culture after culture throughout history and has transformed the society into one of more justice and more peace and more love and more goodwill. That happens as you and I share our love and our knowledge of Christ with those around us. As we include them in our lives and as we testify to God's goodness and as we speak out on behalf of justice and truth. It takes wisdom to do this, but you're not alone. You have pastors and leaders and a community of faith around you at Church in the Valley that God has provided for you to help you understand the times and know what you should do. So don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. The Lord is with us. And God will use these times to glorify himself, to win more people to Christ, and to accomplish great things. These are difficult times, but our families and our communities, they have a desperate need for us to be ambassadors of Christ, which is what we are. We as a church have the most important calling in the world. We get to hold out the word of truth, the word of life. We get to be salt and light. What could be better than that? That's a reason to get up in the morning. But first we have to shore up our own convictions that the Bible is enough that the gospel is enough, and that Jesus is enough. And that's why I'm preaching this message today, so that you can see that the alternative, although attractive, is nowhere near as great as what Jesus offers. Don't worry. Jesus understands the times. He knows what's going on, and he will give us his understanding so that we can know what we should do, so that we can be his hands and his feet and his voice in a dying world. I hope you'll join me next week. Because next week we're going to be looking at the biblical solution to the problem of injustice.
Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you gave us your son, Jesus, that you've saved us. Thank you that you've showed us the true problem that we face is sin and that you've given us the power to overcome it through your son. I pray for unity in our church, that you give us a spirit of wisdom and understanding so that we can know and serve you better. Please protect us, Lord, and give us energy and direction as we go out into our world as salt and light, full of truth and grace. Help us to to share the good news that your son is, Father, with those around us. I pray that you would glorify your son, that you would expose heresy and false ideas that challenge the truth of your word. I pray for our country, for healing. I pray for justice. I pray for wisdom for our leaders. And I pray for increased grace and peace. Do it in us and do it through us. In Jesus' name, amen.